Good morning, Golden Corner Church. It's good to see you today. <clears throat> I appreciate that video. I appreciate Isaiah Yoder for a lot of reasons. I appreciate him for his service to this church. The last Sunday I preached, which was August the 2nd, by the way, I preached from the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 12 through 19. And here's the lesson we learned about Jesus. We learned that Jesus works through people. Jesus works through people. After Jesus ascended back to heaven, he continued to work in this world by working through his people. What kind of work are we talking about? What is it that Jesus was doing when he was on this earth, and what is it that he's continuing to do today? Jesus saves people so he can change people. Now, Jesus saves people. We, we all know that. We know what that means. Jesus forgives people of their sins. He reconciles them with the Father. He gives them spiritual life. He reserves a place in heaven for them, which is, you know, all this sounds like a pretty sweet deal to me, doesn't it, you? Why do you think he does that? I think you probably got a multitude of answers that come to your mind. You may be thinking of John 3.16, and you think, well, Jesus saves people because he loves people. That's the correct answer. Some of you may be thinking of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and you're saying, well, Jesus saves people because he's gracious. Remember the verse, for by grace are you saved? Some may say, well, he saves people because he's merciful. Titus 3, 4 says that Jesus never saved any of us because of the good things that we've done. But according to his mercy, he saves us. All those are correct answers. All those are good answers. But did you know that Jesus saves us so that he can change us? That that was his long-term goal? Let me, let me, let me give you a, a biblical text to kind of prove what I'm talking about. And we're going to read this together. It's in the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. We're going to read all the way through verse 16, and and what Paul is doing here is he's writing to a church, probably just like us, and he's explaining the whole concept of church to them. I want you to listen to what he says, beginning of verse number 11. You can read along with me. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, and he's about to give a list of gifts. I want you to understand, he's not talking about spiritual gifts here. He's talking about, uh, 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 he's giving a list of gifted gifts. People, people that he gifted and then he gave as a gift to the church. And he's about to share that list with them. Listen at who they, who they were. He said, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And then he goes on to explain to them the work of, this, of these gifted people, or the responsibility. I guess you could say, at this point, Paul is trying to explain to them, here is the role, or here is the responsibility of your staff. You got it? If you want to put it in modern-day terms, look at verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip or train God's people to do His work and therefore build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. That's a key word. Did you see it? Mature in the Lord. 
How mature? Look at this. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature, he says, like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. And here is a key phrase. I want you to see this. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part or each member of the church does its own special, what's that word? Work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Paul said, here's the way church is supposed to work. God is going to gift people and then send those people to the church as a gift. Pastors, teachers, evangelists. And their work is to train or prepare the members of the church so that they can do God's work. Now, as each member of the church is involved in the work, something wonderful happens. The church grows numerically as they reach more and more unsaved people. But the church grows spiritually as these newly saved people mature, and they mature and become like whom? Christ. Jesus saved each of us so he could change us and make us like him. That's the target. That's the standard. He wants us to think like, talk like, and act like him. Jesus is at work in this world, saving and changing people. And how does he accomplish this work? He accomplishes it through his people. Jesus uses people to save and change other people. Why does he use people? Why didn't he use some? Why didn't he come up with some other concept, some other method? You know, I don't know, but I just know that he's chosen to use people to accomplish this. All believers are supposed to invest their lives in the work of helping unbelievers accept Christ, and the work of helping their fellow believers follow Christ. That's what's supposed to be happening in the church. Unfortunately, in our generation. In our time, that's not happening. Most people who are really saved never get involved in the work. You say, Ronnie, why not? Let me see if I can explain this. When we were saved... We entered into a group of people that I'm referring to as the crowd. And if you're unfamiliar with this terminology, it goes back to that last sermon I preached. And, and if you weren't here, it's online. You could go back to, you know, sometime next week and listen to that sermon and this one. It's going to make more sense. And some of you were here, but you've forgotten everything I said. It might do you some good to do that as well. When we were saved, we entered into a group of people that we're calling the crowd. And people in this group are attracted to Jesus solely because of what he can do for them. They only want something from Jesus. Give me, guide me, help me, is the way their prayers would sound like. 
There's nothing wrong with being a part of the crowd. Everybody starts off in the crowd. But at some point in our spiritual journey, we're supposed to migrate from that group into another group we're calling the followers. Followers are not only attracted to Jesus because of what he can do for them. They're also attracted to Jesus because of what he can do in them. Followers want to be changed. They want to become like Jesus. That's their objective. That's their goal. As important as it is to become a follower, it's not the end of our journey. At some point, followers are supposed to take the next step into another group called the workers. Now, workers are attracted to Jesus, certainly because of what he can do for them, but, and they're attracted to Jesus because of what he can do in them, but workers are also attracted to Jesus because of what he can do through them. Workers are the ones through whom Jesus is still carrying on his work. They've been saved. They're changing. And Jesus is working through them to change others. That's how it's supposed to be. Every believer is eventually supposed to migrate into the group of people we're calling workers, but few ever do. So what's the problem? Here's the problem. People who are saved stop going forward. They, 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 they stop somewhere in this migration. They stop making progress. People in the crowd don't take their next step and become a follower. And in some cases, people who are truly following don't take the next step and become a worker. For this reason, in the average church, the largest group you've got would be called the crowd. Then there will be a much smaller group called the followers. And there will be this tiny little group in the church that you call workers. That's the way probably almost every church that I'm aware of is made up. The crowd, the followers, the workers. Now, if that's the case, how do you think that would affect the average congregation? If most people in a church are only looking to Jesus for what he can do for them and no more. There's a, tiny, there's a smaller faction, much smaller and then they want Jesus to do things for them and help them, but they also they want Jesus to change them. Their aspiration is to grow and mature. Then you got this tiny little group. They want, you know, they're looking to Jesus for what he can do for them. They're looking to Jesus for what he can do in them. But man, they want Jesus to do something through them. How do you think that affects a local congregation? Number one, that church will be limited in its effectiveness. A church's effectiveness is determined by the number of workers it has. This is not rocket science. You know, 10 people can do the work of 10 people. If you want to get more work, more results from a church, you know what it takes? It takes more workers. If you want the results that 100 workers can produce, what does that take? 100 workers. So here's what we don't understand. When, when we make the decision not to be involved in Christ's work, we're making a decision for our church that, we, that we're okay with our church being limited in its effectiveness. You know, I know this can be a little uncomfortable to hear. And, and man, you know what I'm grateful for? I'm grateful that you came. 
I'm grateful that you're here. I got to tell you the truth. If a church primarily consists of the crowd, that church is, is going to be limited in its effectiveness. Number two, that church will suffer from spiritual immaturity. People in the crowd, they're not growing. Followers grow. So if you're stuck in the crowd, you're not growing. You're not maturing. That's the word the Apostle Paul used in the verses we read. He said you ought to mature, and the result of that would be Christ-likeness. He says, now there's an alternative. If you're not maturing, you're immature, and the result is childlikeness. Spiritually immature believers are impatient, self-centered, demanding, argumentative, and whiners. You ever heard of a church splitting? You ever heard of a church just blowing wide open and, and, dis, and, and, and dismantling into, into multiple factions? You know what's at the heart of every church division you've ever heard of? Spiritual immaturity. You ever heard of church scandals? Something coming public about someone in the church that just rocked the church and, and ruined its, its reputation, destroyed its integrity? At the heart of every church scandal is spiritual immaturity. And if most of the people in the church belong to the crowd, it means most of the people aren't mature. Most of the people are immature. You're just multiplying the problems the church is going to have to deal with. Number three, the church will chronically burn out its workers. If only a fraction of the people who, who make up a church are working, it won't be long until those workers have been burned out. They will find themselves at a place where spiritually, emotionally, and physically they're exhausted and they can't take another step. Now, when that happens, uh, there are one of two things that's going to take place. Best case scenario, that person is going to leave the church that burned them out. They're going to go find another church. You, you say, why would they do that? Because, listen, they're in dire need of rest. They're in dire need of recovery. And they understand that the people at their church have come to, uh, to develop some great expectations for them. Hey, anytime you've got anything you need to happen, you go ask them. Anything that's going on, they'll be there. And they know, if I'm going to recover, I've got to get away from that group. So they're going to join another church. And when they join that church, they're probably never going to work at that church. We've seen it happen here dozens of times. We've had refugees come to Golden Corner Church from other churches that burned them out. And rarely in my 18 years of serving here on the staff of Golden Corner Church have I seen one of those burned out people ever get involved in our church. Why, man? I'll tell you what. They develop an aversion to working in church. Now, that's best case scenario, guys. Worst case scenario is they leave church permanently. Jesus, yes. I love Jesus. No, I don't want anything to do with the church because the church almost ruined me. If I were really honest with you, would you appreciate that or would you get mad at me for, for being honest with you? Appreciate it? Well, good, good. There's seven of you. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> Let me tell you what I see happening at Golden Corner Church. We're burning our workers out. It's happening here. You know, we had a vacation Bible school back in the summer. And I, and I can't, man, listen, man, it was top flight. It was great. But I couldn't help notice something. 
Most of the people who were here every night working are the same people who are working every Sunday. Most. And a couple months later, we had Praise Week for our students, and Praise Week was absolutely unbelievable. But here again, I couldn't help noticing something. Most of the people working at Praise Week were the same people who were working at Vacation Bible School who are the same people who work here every Sunday. That's really getting uncomfortable, isn't it? You ought to be standing right here. We have, we have an incredible group of volunteers that go to, go to church. They're just a very small group. And I think we're in the process of burning them out. I think it's just a matter of time. Now, there's a fourth thing that'll happen if a church is made up primarily of the crowd. That church would be unhealthy. Paul says that the church is a lot like the human body, made up of a lot of members. Every member has its own special, very important function. Which means, this is what Paul would teach us in the New Testament, that the moment we were saved, we were given a special ability by the Holy Spirit. It's something we didn't have beforehand. And that special ability was given us for the sake of those around us, for others. So that when you use that special ability that you've been given in the work, others benefit, others grow. What if you don't? What if you don't use that special ability in the work? You know what? It's the same as a member of your body shutting down. Now, church experts say about 10% of people in the average church work and 90% don't. I heard a guy say one time the average church is kind of like a, a football game. You've got 22 people on the field in dire need of rest and 80,000 people in the stands in dire need of exercise. And sometimes that seems like the church. What happens if 90% of the people don't use their special ability in the work? It would be the same as 90% of your body shutting down. How healthy would you be? You'd be sick to the point of death. I think that's exactly where the church of the 21st century is. Sick to the point of death. Minimally effective, spiritually immature, burning out its workers, terribly unhealthy. I think that's an apt description of the average church. Yes, Ronnie, what about us? I don't think we're doing very well. And you probably don't appreciate me saying that. That was probably hard for you to hear. It's probably harder for me to say. But I don't think we have any hope of fixing a problem until we admit we got one. And I think we got one. What do you want to do about it? I want to fix it. You know what that's going to take? We've got to get moving again. We got to get moving again. If you are indeed a part of the crowd, and listen, let me tell you something. Typically speaking, those who only want something from Jesus, they only want something from their church. 
it kind of works the same way. You know, I only want something from Jesus. The only reason I'm in this relationship is what he can do for me. Typically, that carries right over the relationship with the church. I only want something from my church. Listen, we got to get moved. If you're in the crowd, you got to take your next step, and you got to migrate into the followers. You say, how do you do that? Give yourself to Jesus. That's simple. How do you move out of the crowd into the followers? you got to give yourself to Jesus. Ronnie, what do you mean by that? I mean, you gotta, you got to turn the leadership or the control of your life over to Jesus totally. You let him lead. And you follow, step by step, day by day, for the rest of your life. That's how you step from the crowd into the followers. Ronnie, are you sure that is absolutely necessary? Because that's a pretty big step you're talking about there. Yes, it is. Now, we've been studying through the book of Luke, and we've noticed that every time someone in the Bible decided to follow Jesus, the first step they took was to leave something. Do you remember what it was? Everything. Everything. What does it mean to leave everything? It means you give up your life and you give it to Jesus. I believe we understand why so many people get stuck in the crowd. The obstacle in our path is selfishness. We're all born with a me-first mindset. Therefore, to move from the crowd and become a follower requires a radical change in thinking. We must go from a me first to a Jesus first mindset. That's not easy for us humans to do. It's not easy, but it's absolutely essential. And it is doable. Let me suggest a practical step that may help you do this. Develop some real, meaningful relationships with other people who are following Christ. Start hanging out with followers. If you do, their way of thinking may very well rub off on you. And you'll find yourself eventually migrating from the crowd into the followers. You know, to help you do this at Golden Corner Church, to help you relationally connect with other followers, we offer life groups. Now, they're not, you know what, I don't know how to say this. I don't want you to think it's just a, a big promotional for what we do here at Golden Corner, but... You know, if you just can't find a circle of followers to connect with, let us help you. If you don't have that circle, let us help you find one. You know, to help you, we offer life groups, and these are just simply small circles of people who help each other follow Christ. That's all they are. Perhaps your next step is to commit to one. Ronnie, how do I do that? Well, you see this guy right here, Scott Lee? Scott Lee is over our life groups, and he's going to be at the Connection Center after the service, and he'll be glad to answer any questions you've got. And We've got an event coming up on September 27th called LifeLink, and it's designed to help you find the life group that's right for you. So maybe that's a practical step you need to take. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're already following him, you know, it's probably time for you to take your next step and become a worker. How do you do that? Give yourself to people. If you're ever going to help unbelievers accept Christ and fellow believers follow Christ, I want you to listen to me. You've got to get involved. You can't accomplish this as a spectator. 
You will have to invest your time, your energy, and resources in people. You don't have to give your life to others. So you kind of see why sometimes people can get hung up as a follower? Selfishness can once again be the obstacle. The old me-first mentality gets in our way. If you and I are going to go from the crowd to the followers, from the followers to the workers, we've got to move from a me-first mentality to a Jesus and others mentality. To do that, let me make a suggestion, a practical step you may want to take. Hang out with people who are working. A better way to word that might be, why don't you start working with workers? You know, I write questions for our life groups to use. One of the questions I wrote for the life groups to use tonight was this. Do you have to be a volunteer at a church to be involved in the work? No, you don't. You don't have to be. You can be a legitimate, effective worker and not hold any kind of position at a church. So am I clear on that? We all got that? But Golden Corner Church is committed to carrying on the work of Christ, and to do that, guess what we've got to have? We've got to have lots of volunteers. Your next step might be as simple as this, joining one of our volunteer teams at Golden Corner Church. We've got teams of volunteers that work hard every week. And right now, guys, I'll be honest with you, we're volunteer-strapped. You say, what does that mean? I mean, we're operating with a skeleton crew. That's what I mean. The timing for you to make yourself available to join with other workers is perfect. How do I do that, Ronnie? Now, we got two tables set up out. One outside that set of double doors and one outside that set of double doors. And right out here is a table. If you think you're interested in working with our children's ministry, there's a table right out there. You can sign up this morning or there's a need-to-know card. And if you just need some information so that you can make this decision about what you want to do, that table's right there. And let me say this, we're currently burning out our children's teams, our children's ministry teams. We're burning them out. And we have two teams that work a month, off a month, work a month, off a month. We ideally want three teams, work a month, off two months. To do that, we've got to have at least 30 dedicated volunteers to sign up and get involved. Did you hear the way I said that? 30 dedicated volunteers. I don't mean 30 names of men and women on a piece of paper. I mean 30 men and women who will commit to this, who will be here when they're supposed to be here, be prepared and do what they need to do. If we can do this, I'll tell you what, we won't burn them out. If we don't, we're going to burn them out. Is this good preaching or is this bad preaching? Will you help me out here just a minute? We need help. It's your church. There's a table right out here for those of you who'd like to serve in guest services. You know, parking lot attendant, guest services, greeters. You know, when first Sundays we were back here, we got incredible feedback from people who visited this church saying, the greeters made an impact on me. Well, we need some. Why don't you step out there? If you, hey, listen, if you're ready, you want to sign up, sign up. If not, take one of those need-to-know need to cards and, and, and get the information you need to make a decision. You say, Ronnie, why should I do this? Why should I migrate from the crowd to the followers, from the followers into the workers? Why should I make that journey? Uh, One, yeah, I think you ought to do it for yourself. 
Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he would give us life and give us life to the full. You know what that means? That's not talking about heaven. Jesus made us this promise that in between the day you're saved and the day you go to heaven, I'll give you a better life than anything you could have achieved on your own. And I'll give you a life so good that it would blow your mind. You couldn't even comprehend how good it would be. How do you get that? In another place, Jesus said this. uh, If you'll lose your life, you'll find it. The day that you give away your life to Jesus, and then you begin giving away your life to other human beings, is the day that you'll begin living life to the full. You stand to gain in this life, but you stand to gain in the next life. In, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that there's coming a day when every believer will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to be judged by him. And what do you think that judgment is all about? A lot of people think this. That one of these days we'll stand before Jesus and he's going to determine if you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. That's not what this judgment is about. That decision is made in this life. According to Paul, the judgment seat of Christ is a time when our works will be evaluated. Period. That judgment is all about our work on this earth. And every one of us, one by one, will file in front of him and give an account, a reporting of how we work for him on this earth. And this is what the Bible says. If our work stands the test, we will be greatly rewarded throughout eternity. Man, I'm telling you this for your sake. Maybe you ought to do this for yourself. Listen, I'm trying to help you avoid a potentially embarrassing moment that could linger throughout the course of eternity. If, some, listen, if, we, if, if we found ourselves standing at the judgment seat of Christ this morning, right, I mean, just immediately after this service, and you had to sit down in, in Jesus' office, and he was sitting you know, behind the desk, and you're sitting there, and he goes, let's talk about your work. You know how some of you would answer? Uh, what work? To which he would say, that's my point. If you aren't working, if you aren't involved in the work of Christ, what excuse are you going to throw out at that moment that you think he's going to go, oh, oh, I get it. What, what is it? What's going to work at that moment? Some will say, Alex, and I was old. And then the others say, I was young. Some will say, we had kids. What about my career? I got hurt. I was tired. What's going to work? Think about the awkwardness of this moment when you're standing before Jesus and he's evaluating your work and you're trying to explain why you didn't work. Well, it was deer season, God. Deer season came up and... Or it was summer. You know, man, I preached a message here at, right at Memorial Day on, on how to get the most out of vacation. I want to tell you something, guys. If you ever want to hear that message again, you're going to have to listen to it online because I'll never preach it again. <laughs> you know what I said? I said the purpose of, of our breaks and our regular schedule is so that we can draw closer to God. I have never been as misinterpreted in a sermon in my life. People left here that Sunday in droves and still haven't come back. You know why? We're on vacation. When do you get a vacation from the work of Christ? How long is that supposed to last? That might have been a little frustration coming out right there. Can you feel that? But I think it's the truth. 
You know, why don't you say, why should I do this? Why don't you do it for yourself? Why don't you do it for others? There are people here that you really value because of how God uses them, how God works through them in your life or the lives of your children. You really value them. The last thing in the world you'd ever want them to do is burn out and quit. You know what you can do to help them not burn out? Roll up your sleeves and get involved in the work with them. Help them. Do it for them. What about the people you can reach? There are people in this world that are hell-bound that only you are ever going to reach. Nobody else is going to reach them. What you do it for them? There are believers in this church that are never going to follow Christ until you follow Christ. They're watching you. Why don't you do it for them? Why don't you do it for Jesus? Jesus did something incredible for you. He saved you. It brought him a lot of pleasure to save you. That's not all he wanted to do. He not only wanted to do something for you, he wanted to do something in you. He wanted to change you. And when you grow, every step you take toward maturity brings him pleasure. He not only wanted to do something in you, he wanted to do something through you. And every time you allow him to work through you to touch another life, it brings him pleasure. That was the plan. To do something for you so he could do something in you so it eventually could do something through you. And when that's happening, it brings him immense pleasure. And in light of all that he's done for you, why don't you consider doing this for him? Let's pray together. Father, I pray this, that every one of us in this room will stop and take a long, hard, honest look at ourselves. The Christian experience was supposed to be a journey of perpetual motion in the direction of Christ-likeness. And not only were we to become like your son, we're to help others become like your son. Are we still moving? Or did we get stuck somewhere along the way? Are we making progress? Show us. Open our eyes. Help us to see. God, if we see that our journey has come to a halt, help us. Help us clearly acknowledge that today, to be honest with you as we're honest with ourselves. And God, help us begin moving again. Help us unselfishly give our lives to you. Every aspect, every detail, total control. We're yours. Here we are. Take us. Do in us what you want to do. God, help us to give ourselves unreservedly to other human beings. 
do what we can. Lord, work in us and work through us. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.